Today's webinar is going to come to you from Eastman Chemical Company. It's going to focus on the four most important criteria when you're selecting your heat transfer fluid. First, let me give you a little bit of uh, background on your presenter today. Conrad Gamble is a senior associate at Eastman Chemical Company. He has an extensive experience in heat transfer fluids and he's done numerous engineering seminars on heat transfer fluid systems. He has worked in roles in manufacturing and engineering, and he currently serves in technical service as product steward for Thermonol Heat Transfer Fluids. Conrad holds a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering from the University of Alabama, and he is a licensed professional engineer. Now, following the presentation, we will be taking your questions. If you would like to submit a question, just look to the right of the GoToMeeting, and you will see a section for your questions. You can just type them in there. So without further ado, let's get started. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Mr. Conrad Gamble. Thank you very much, Peggy. Um, I first wanted to express my appreciation to my colleagues at Eastman Chemical Company for the opportunity to share this material with the assistance of um, industrial information resources today. The content that I will be sharing has been uh, presented at engineering firms over the years, and hopefully it will increase the awareness of our audience to consider all of the factors that we cover today when considering their fluid selection criteria. Uh, we see here the four major criteria or categories to consider when selecting a heat transfer fluid. And for the purposes of today's seminar, we'll cover medium and high temperature fluids, focusing primarily on the liquid phase fluids. As the responsible process engineer, the process requirements are non-negotiable and must be met. So let's first look at how this initially helps screen from among the fluid options. These are the essentials for being able to operate the process in a manner that meets quality and nameplate capacity requirements. For capacity, the heat duty needs must be met. Getting the heat into, and in some cases out of, a process requires a temperature difference to drive the heat exchange, where the heat transfer fluid must be hotter or colder than the process to reach the process temperature set points, and some, sometimes batch heat up or cool down requirements. In planning for the unexpected, uh, the optimal heat transfer fluid selection should also be able to create minimal issues in case there is leakage from the process to the heat transfer fluid system or vice versa. The basic heat transfer rate equation shown here relates the heat duty, Q, to heat transfer coefficient, area for heat exchange, and temperature difference. The heat duty, Q, is defined by your process. For heating, that's how much energy is required based on the established material and energy balances. The area and delta T are design choices and the heat transfer coefficient a, H is set by the fluids and equipment selected. The designer will evaluate the available fluid options to optimize the performance and heat exchange area requirements for the best economic value. There are two equations shown for heat transfer coefficient calculation within pipes and tubes, and we'll focus on the one on the left. The heat transfer coefficient H is calculated from a constant C which includes dimensional factors and fluid velocity. The remaining parameters are physical properties of the heat transfer fluid. I've included within the parentheses to the right of each property the desired high or low values 
to help obtain the optimal heat transfer coefficient H. The best heat, trans heat transfer coefficients are produced with a fluid in the fully developed turbulent flow regime. This is particularly important when designing for cooling applications where the higher fluid viscosities at cooler temperatures can lower the Reynolds numbers. To calculate the overall heat transfer rate, the overall heat transfer coefficient, U, is determined as a function of the internal and external heat transfer coefficients, the wall resistance, and the fouling resistance to heat exchange. Again, the overall heat transfer rate, Q, is a process requirement, and the area and delta T are design choices. U is then determined by the selection of the fluid and the equipment. On this slide, I have examples of the overall U produced with two different process side heat transfer coefficients. The upper chart is where the process side H is a low value of 20 BTUs per hour square foot degree Fahrenheit. By looking at the x-axis showing the heat transfer fluid side heat transfer coefficient H, this demonstrates that selecting a heat transfer fluid with a very high H value may not significantly improve the overall heat transfer coefficient U that's obtained. This may open up to the engineer to a broader selection of heat transfer fluids that can meet the needs and avoid selection of a fluid at potentially higher cost that may provide little added benefit. In the lower chart, we've changed the process side heat transfer coefficient H to a much higher value of 200 BTUs per hour square foot degree Fahrenheit. In this case, the selection of a heat transfer fluid providing greater heat transfer fluid side heat transfer coefficient H can produce an overall U value substantially higher. This is where the proper selection of heat transfer fluid can lead to reduced area requirements for heat exchange needed to meet the process requirements. This table is taken from Perry's Chemical Engineer's Handbook and shows the relative overall U values expected from different chemistries within process vessels and where the organic heat transfer fluid is in the vessel jackets. So from heavy oils to lighter oils and then to aqueous liquids of increasing water content, we see the overall U values increasing significantly. From the charts we just reviewed, we can see that the selection of heat transfer fluid becomes increasingly important economically when processing the light oils and organics and aqueous streams. An engineer can choose from among heat transfer fluids once the temperature difference or temperature requirements are defined. Sometimes a future capacity increase or a product change might require greater temperatures. The process engineer should consider the potential future needs in terms of fluid selection, but also the potential impact to other design choices, such as the size of the expansion tank, pump selection, and potentially materials of construction. Since a fluid's life expectancy is related to the time it's held at maximum operating temperature, the on-stream time should also be considered. One example of this is the life of the fluids used in solar plants of the U.S. Southwest being extended since the fluids are only heated during the daylight hours when the sun is up. However, the more recent designs can utilize molten salt that extend operational hours well into the night. The increased on-stream time of the fluid would be expected to be reduced uh, or to reduce its life expectancy simply due to it being at high temperature for more hours each day. Just keep in mind that thermal degradation and fluid life are a time and temperature dependent relationship. The location of a plant is also an important 
consideration for cold startup conditions. For example, an Arctic location may have midwinter startup demands in a minus 40 Celsius environment. A fluid selected that has low viscosity can support using smaller pump motors, saving on equipment costs. Otherwise, added capital may be required for pre-startup heating needs. For operations requiring process cooling, fluids that have lower viscosities at the temperatures supplied for cooling will support the higher fluid side heat transfer coefficients and potentially higher overall U values and smaller heat exchange requirements. Factors in overall cost of fluid ownership go beyond the initial purchase price. It includes equipment costs and maintenance costs of the fluid over its life. And we'll next look at these factors. In selection of a heat transfer fluid, it's better to err on the conservative side of meeting the performance needs, particularly in terms of safety factor on the overall U value, and in terms of the maximum bulk temperature rating for the fluid selected. For new projects, it's common for the heat transfer fluid to represent less than 1% of the total capital investment. However, the performance of the heat transfer fluid is key to meeting project performance objectives. If the fluid fails to perform, the project objectives will likely not be met. As I mentioned earlier, cost-reducing impacts to equipment size and cost are possible by, by selecting a fluid that provides better overall heat transfer coefficients, or U values. This can also reduce batch processing times in fixed area equipment like reactors and reduce the cost of high alloy equipment. For cold startup situations, the low viscosity fluid options can reduce or eliminate the heat tracing needs and simplify and speed up the cold weather startups. The life expectancy of an organic heat transfer fluid is based on its thermal stability or the ability to resist chemical change at elevated temperatures. A fluid of greater thermal stability will last longer at high temperatures than one of lower stability. And it can also be more forgiving in instances where you have high temperature excursions. These excursions can typically occur when there may be a power outage that stops the circulating flow of the fluid, allowing the fluid to temporarily overheat within the heater or waste heat recovery units. If these events are recurring in a plant, the cause or causes need to be identified and corrected to protect the investments in the fluid and the equipment uh, from potential reduced life expectancy. Thermal stability of the organic heat transfer fluids is commonly measured by standardized test methods such as ASTM D6743 and DEN51528. They quantify the amounts of low and high boiling thermal degradation products that form over time at a given temperature. We also have data from dynamic heat, heat loops and from decades of data collected from our fluids in global field applications to better predict the relative fluid lives of different chemistries. This graphic illustrates an important point about how uh, organic heat transfer fluids de uh, degrade thermally. The orange Thermonol 55 curve at the left is shown to exponentially increase in its degradation rate after it exceeds the maximum bulk temperature rating of 550 Fahrenheit. And the same is shown for the Thermonol 66 fluid on the right as it exceeds its 650 Fahrenheit bulk temperature rating. A good rule of thumb to note is that for a 10 degrees Celsius temperature rise, the thermal degradation rate will roughly double, and that can reduce the life expectancy by half. This shows the importance of having that capacity built into the fluid to forgive those temperature excursions that sometimes will happen. 
Another key takeaway here is that a decrease of 10 degrees Celsius will reduce the thermal stress by half, and it will correspondingly extend the fluid life. Fluids of different chemistries will have a little different curvature, but are generally similar to the ones we see here. Designs that provide a buffer of operation below the rated maximum bulk and film temperatures can extend the life expectancy of the fluid. There are two key temperatures to be aware of when thinking of thermal stability of fluids. They're the, the bulk temperature and the film temperature. The bulk temperature is measured by a thermocouple typically at the outlet of your heater. The film temperature is uh, the temperature at the tube wall inside your heater coils, so it's the point at the point where the heat is entering the fluid, and it's the highest temperature zone or uh, that the fluid will experience. So at that zone, the thermal degradation rate is the greatest. The designer needs to minimize the fraction of fluid in that zone to keep the overall thermal degradation rate to a minimum. The way this is done by ensure, is by ensuring the fully developed turbulent flow through the heater coils. This minimizes the film thickness and the impact from degradation in this zone to the fluid as a whole. On the left side of this slide, we see an example where heat is passing from the left to the right through a tube wall into the dark orange fluid film and then on into the lighter orange bulk liquid. With a laminar flow regime, there are larger eddies and a greater film thickness, resulting in a higher average film temperature and a greater fraction of your fluid that's experiencing this greatest degradation rate. On the right, the fluid is fully turbulent with lots of eddies and a minimum film thickness. This minimizes the fraction of the fluid that's in that film zone and its impact to overall thermal degradation rates of the fluid. Uh, this illustration is provided in our liquid phase design guide available at download from our website uh, for further study. As the fluid thermally degrades, the molecules break into smaller fragments called low boilers that have lower molecular weights. Some polymerization products are also formed uh, to create higher molecular weight compounds with lower vapor pressure, and they're called high boilers. The low boilers are best managed by venting from the system to a safe location. The high boilers are organic liquids with a lower vapor pressure, and they can't be removed by venting, nor can they be fil filtered because they're liquid phase, so they accumulate in the fluid over time. Over years of operation, the average molecular weight of your fluid will gradually increase, and this causes the fluid viscosity to increase and the performance to reduce, and ultimately can lead to the uh, need to replace the fluid. We see listed here several factors that are related to the heat transfer fluid reliability. Awareness of managing these factors can be great assets to the process engineer and project engineers responsible for unit operation. When fluid condition deteriorates, it leads to increased risks of fouling of heat transfer surfaces and of forming deposits that settle into low velocity areas like the expansion tank. Fouling deposits can reduce the heat transfer rates both in the heater and in process heat users. This can lead to reduced production capacities or an increase in the heat transfer, fluid, heat transfer fluid supply temperature to the process to increase the delta T available for heat input. Reduced efficiencies can also lead to increased fuel usage. 
Generally, petroleum distillates or mineral oils are more prone to forming sludge and deposits which can foul a system as compared to synthetic fluids. Synthetic fluids have increased solubility for these compounds so that they can more easily remain in solution and have less potential to foul. Choosing a fluid that has lower potential for fouling can help avoid the costs and downtime that are associated with system cleaning. We've talked about thermal stability, but another mode of degradation can be caused by oxidation. When organic fluids contact oxygen in air at elevated temperatures, they can react to form weak organic acids. These acids can lead to increased viscosities, reduced heat transfer coefficients, and greater fouling potential. This photo illustrates what happened in side-by-side -side testing of air passed over heat transfer fluid held at 204 Celsius for 500 hours. The synthetic fluid in the tube at the left did not foul the tube significantly due to its greater solubility of the oxidation products. The three different mineral oils tested on the right showed increased tendency to foul. Whether either fluid chemistry is appropriate to, uh, is selected, it's appropriate to protect the fluid against exposure to oxygen by using an inert gas blanket applied to the expansion tank specifically when tank temperatures are 80 to 100 degrees Celsius or higher. Also, any fluid that's drained from a system while hot should not be returned to the system so that you do not add those organic acids that form back into your system. Consideration needs to be given also to potential consequences in case of accidental mixing or leaks between the process and the heat transfer fluid. What are the potential reaction products and what are their consequences? If possible, a heat transfer fluid non-reactive with a process stream should be selected. Also, which heat transfer fluid chemistry may lend itself to the greatest ease of separation from the process stream? Successful selection may help avoid the need to totally, totally replace a fluid that's been contaminated in that way. This one, uh, one tip I'd like to suggest at this point is, um, in my experience, most process leaks occur from weakened tube-to-tube -tube sheet joints of shell and tube heat exchangers. And for that reason, I, I personally feel like welded connections for added strength and leak resistance at these points can minimize leak potential, especially true in processes where temperature cycling occurs, like batch processes. Finally, give us a call to ask which of our fluids have been used in similar processes before. There's no need to be a pioneer in using an untested fluid in an application. Thermonol fluids have been in use for over 50 years globally, and the odds are that we can help. It only makes sense to use all of the tools available to the engineer. Eastman does provide a global network of sales engineers on all major continents with four fluids laboratories and three technical centers. Our Total Life Cycle Care Program, or TLC, is designed to help projects from cradle to grave have the support they need all along the way. Most organic heat transfer fluids will have fairly low toxicity. Supplier safety data sheets should provide the data based on each chemistry and for product testing. Medium and high temperature heat transfer fluid systems are operated as closed systems, meaning that exposure to fluid and vapors outside the system will be minimized. Areas for potential exposure will include uh, these, these locations. Uh, during the filling and draining processes, collecting fluid samples from a system, performing equipment repairs, and the occasional cleanup of any spills or leaks that may happen.
dermal exposure is the most common route of exposure and can be addressed by appropriate glove protection. Eastman does provide glove facts bulletins for each of our heat transfer fluid products. In terms of oral toxicity, fluids with oral LD50 values above 5,000 milligrams per kilogram, like most of the thermal fluids, are, co are considered practically non-toxic. Always check the product safety data sheet for your uh, specific fluid for product-specific information. Um, in terms of regulatory issues, most thermal fluids have no regulatory spill reporting requirements, uh, at least in the United States, and no special uh, handling requirements other than would be appropriate for any industrial chemical. Check the product safety data sheet in Section 15 for specifics of regulatory concerns, or contact your, your area sales engineer for information. We try to make our safety data sheets a single standalone document to give the full picture regarding safety and handling and regulatory information um, that avoids the need to have to compile this information from several different locations. In terms of fire properties, it's common to operate a heat transfer fluid above its flash point and fire points in closed systems. Always operate a fluid below the auto ignition temperature. It's best to operate a fluid's uh, operate below a fluid's boiling point to minimize pressurized equipment considerations. But this doesn't weigh on the fluid's thermal stability. Remember, thermal stability is a temperature-dependent process, irrespective of it being in the liquid phase or vapor phase. So let's consider these specifics as a quick summary. Lower vapor pressures trend toward lower equipment costs and higher flash points. Lower viscosities support higher heat transfer coefficients, smaller motors, and better cooling performance. Good thermal and oxidation stability means greater resistance to chemical change, stable and longer-lasting longer performance. Good heat transfer coefficients will help get higher U values and use smaller heat exchange areas, lowering the equipment costs. Most organic heat transfer fluids are non-corrosive to carbon steel, but you still need to use uh, inerting uh, of your expansion tank to help avoid uh, acid formation, uh, which can occur at high temperature when exposed to air. Consider potential reactions and effects so that you can use uh, select fluids with the most manageable outcomes. Higher fire properties like flash points, fire points, and auto, igni auto ignition temperatures are generally safer. Examine the heat transfer fluid safety data sheets for chemistry-specific work workplace and, ex and environmental exposure hazards. Lower odors will favor improved work environments and plant neighbors as well. And lastly, when all other requirements are met, there's no need to pay more for more fluid than necessary among the remaining screened options. We focused on medium and high temperature fluids today, primarily for liquid phase operation. Liquid phase fluids will not be permitted to vaporize by keeping their temperatures below their boiling points at system pressure. Vapor phase media are intentionally vaporized to take advantage of condensing mode heat transfer for precise temperature control. Here we see a table of our medium and high temperature liquid phase fluid options, all of which are globally available. I would suggest a chart similar to this one should be prepared to make a side-by-side -side comparison of different fluid attributes. 
including any additional criteria as appropriate, such as food grade considerations, flashpoint desired, uh, supplier ability to respond to emergency top-up needs, etc. The screening criteria we've discussed today can be used to narrow the choices to those thermally capable, then meeting the other criteria for low life cycle fluid cost. For each remaining candidate, calculations of overall heat transfer coefficients can be made for the relative performance assessment. Let me highlight some of the special fluids that we've referenced earlier in today's seminar. Um, the first is Thermonol 59. This fluid is a preferred option for very cold climates in Arctic regions due to its low viscosity and very low pore point. It's also a great option for dual surface process heating and cooling with the same fluid. Thermonol 55 at the left, this fluid is a standard selection for oil and gas processing, asphalt terminals, and roofing plants. And it provides its, the uh, advantages to synthetic chemistry uh, use at modest cost. Operation at its maximum bulk temperature rating is still 100 degrees Fahrenheit below its normal boiling point, providing for very low pressure operation. And Thermonol 66 is the gold standard of liquid phase heating fluids. It's rated for a maximum bulk temperature of 650 Fahrenheit while still being nearly 30 degrees below its normal boiling point. In this table, we show two fluids capable of, used, of use in either liquid, uh, pressurized liquid or vapor mode. Thermonol VP1 is the standard selection for trough solar plants that operate in pressurized liquid systems nearing 750 Fahrenheit. It's also commonly used as a condensing vapor phase media for nylon processing. This is the fluid chemistry that holds the highest maximum bulk temperature rating of any organic heat transfer fluid. Thermonol VP3 can be operated in vapor phase to support specialty fibers processing at temperatures lower than are possible with Thermonol VP1 and is provided by its lower boiling point than the VP1 product. On the right are three additional fluids that are available in our Europe, Africa, and Middle East region. You can see that the Thermonol family of fluids offers a wide variety of chemistries from which you can choose to best match the fluid attributes to the system needs. We've um, quickly passed through a lot of information this morning, but for more details, I'd encourage you to visit our website at www.thermonol.com. There you'll find literature to assist on liquid and vapor phase system design, detailed product and information bulletins, and our newest edition, which is our new Thermonol calculator. Folks, this is going to conclude the webinar. Again, a very big special thanks to Conrad Gamble. He's a senior associate at Eastman Chemical Company. Conrad, thanks again for, for bringing us such a great presentation. Thank you very much. And once again, this will conclude the webinar. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope everyone goes and has a great day.